Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So now if you flip over to page 1509-1509 in your church Bible, we're going to read from John chapter 1. And you might find there's a few similarities to what we just read in Genesis. John chapter 1 from verse 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, friends, please turn uh, back to page one of your Bibles. And uh, as we begin this short series... And uh, let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help me as I speak to speak your words of truth. Uh, Help us all to learn uh, what you would have us know and to live it out in our daily lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hang on a minute, can you go back to the beginning and start from the start? Uh, Somebody's probably said that to you in the past. You've probably said it to somebody else. As Maria told the Von Trapp children, the very beginning is a very good place to start because, let's face it, if you start anything partway through or in our case, um, a story. If you start a story partway through, doing so leads to confusion, doesn't it? Who are these people? Why are they doing whatever it is they're doing? A whole lot of what's going on makes little or no sense when we don't know how things started. You can try and guess some of the connections. You may even get one or two correct. But uh, unless you have the beginning of the story, you'll never be quite sure. And why is that? I mean, it's straightforward, isn't it? The beginning of a story, it, it, it sets the scene, it introduces the characters. It, it may even tell us the reason, amongst other things, for what follows. The beginning of Genesis is no different Um, except it does a little bit more than just set the scene, etc., for the book of Genesis itself. Uh, It sets the scene for the whole Bible. 
And I want to suggest that without these two chapters that we're looking at over the next six weeks, while we may understand most of the rest of the Bible, there are certain things that would not make complete sense. They might cause us to question the text unhelpfully. A brief example might help here. Do you remember Jesus being asked um, about lawful divorce by the Pharisees? Um, It's in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10. You know, the Pharisees suggest to Jesus that Moses um, allowed divorce for pretty much any reason. Sound familiar? No-fault divorce. And this is what Jesus said to them initially. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now if you know Genesis 1 and 2, you'll know that quote actually quotes from both chapters. (laughs) Haven't you read, in the beginning the Creator made them male and female, that's the end of chapter 1, and in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother. So, I mean, and how does Jesus start that reply? Haven't you read? Well, if we didn't have Genesis 1 and 2, we would have to answer that question, wouldn't we? By saying, "Um, no, Jesus, I haven't read those two things you're claiming are quotes. I'm just not sure where you got them from. It's not just Jesus who relies on these foundational chapters. Psalms, Proverbs and Isaiah, they all refer back to the beginning. And the verses in John's Gospel that we read, you noticed it, didn't you? (laughs) They use the same three words to start. He uses the same three words to start his gospel they link Jesus the word with the creation of the world so I want to suggest that it is actually impossible to overstate the importance of these two chapters that we're going to look at over the next six weeks or it's impossible to overstate the importance of this very first verse that's our focus for today in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So I want to look at uh, this under two simple headings, what God did and why it matters to us. So what did God do? And what does this verse tell us? Simple, isn't it? (laughs) He created the heavens and the earth. Well, It's simple to state that, but there's a little bit more that needs to be unpacked from it because while it's true to say that God created the world, what does that actually mean? And in fact, he created more than just the world, didn't he? Once we bring in our second reading, we'll be able to say a little bit more. But to stick with Genesis 1-1 for a bit... This phrase, the heavens and the earth, 
it means a bit more than what we might immediately think because we're earthbound. And so what do we think of when we think of the word heavens? Well, we just, we just think of the sky, don't we, generally speaking? You know, the sky and the ground. Now, that's true. God created the sky and the ground. But this word heavens, it's plural. And what it is actually referring to is everything that's above us. So not just the sky and the clouds that we can see, but everything that is out there. If we were to paraphrase this statement, we could say that God created everything in the material universe. And this fact has led Bible scholars, they they use a Latin phrase called creatio ex nihilo, meaning creation from nothing, to describe this initial act of creation. Now, before you get too upset at that idea, I hope you don't, but if you do, I want to set out a few brief reasons why this belief is reasonable according to the Bible. Firstly, is the grammar of the original Hebrew supports the idea. Okay, It's in the beginning God created the lot. <laughs> there, there was no pre-existing material that God used and shaped. He actually created the material in the first place. And secondly, those first three words, in the beginning, they suggest that prior to in the beginning, whenever that was, that nothing was around except God. Remember, in the beginning, God did something. So the fact that there was a in the beginning where God did something actually tells us that God is outside of time as we know it, as we experience it. When God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, he also created the concept of time that we inhabit, that we are subject to. And what does that mean? What does that mean that we are subject to time and God is not? Well, he's not subject to time, therefore he's not subject to decay. He's not subject to ageing like we are. And it's because of that that the writer to the Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He says this because he believes, along with other writers in the Bible, that Jesus is God. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. But I want to show you a few quotes that that also back up this claim that God created the entire universe out of nothing. Hebrews 11 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. We'll come back to that as well so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the writer here, in line with Jewish thought on Genesis 1.1, is specifically denying that 
the world was made out of pre-existing material, wherever that may have come from. Saying, no, no. Whatever is seen was made out of things that weren't visible. This idea is also present in the Apocrypha. Um, Now, they're not books that we recognise as Holy Scripture, but like any other text, they are ancient texts, they can be helpful at times. And a lot of it's history. There's a passage where a Jewish mother is encouraging her son to endure persecution and even possible martyrdom at the hands of the ruler Antiochus. And this is what she says to her son. I beseech you, my child, to look at the heaven and the earth and see everything that's in them and recognise that God did not make them out of things that existed. Thus also mankind comes into being. Don't fear this butcher, but prove worthy of your brothers, accept death, so that in God's mercy I may get you back again with your brothers. Wow, that... There's a bit going on there, isn't there? But why does she talk about God creating the world from nothing when she's trying to encourage her son to endure martyrdom or at least persecution? I think the reason is that to encourage her son that no matter what a human being may do to his body... God can resurrect him. God can give her back, uh, him back to her with his brothers who've already been martyred. And it's because he made the world from nothing in the beginning. So she's saying, because God did that then, he can give you back to me now. Now, whether or not she's um, you know, justified in that, that God's actually going to resurrect her sons? We don't know, but she has that belief that he can. doesn't matter what happens to his body. Um, as an aside, this, the speech that the son actually gives to Antiochus um, after this encouragement from his mother uh, is quite inspiring if you want to look it up. So 2 Maccabees 7.30 onwards. The third quote is from Revelation 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things. And by your will they existed and are created. So the logic is, in Revelation, if all things exist by the will of God and were created by him at some point, then prior to that point in time, they did not exist. Yeah? They were created from nothing. They were created when God spoke. Now, I know I'm going outside of verse 1 to include this, but it's important to look at this fact now because it speaks directly to the fact as to why God creating the universe matters to us. So Genesis 1 verse 1 and verse 3 tell us that God, we put them together, God created all things, how? By speaking. In the beginning God created. Verse 3, and God said. That's what he did. 
Now, in that fascinating piece of symmetry that I'm sure is absolutely deliberate, John 1, 1 and 3 tell us that the word who is God made everything. Yeah? In the beginning was the word. goes on to say it, he, he, the word was God. And John 1.14, we didn't read that, but you can look it up and you may even know it off by heart, makes it clear that the word is Jesus, the one and only Son of God who came in the flesh, who was born as a baby in Bethlehem to save his people from their sins. God spoke the word created everything. This brings us directly to why it matters to us that God is our creator. And the first reason that it matters to us that God created this world and everything in it, it means that he created you and me. We're part of it, aren't we? (laughs) He made you, he made me. And that means that we're accountable to him. We are answerable to him. As creator, he is in control, not you, not me. As creator, he sets the rules, not you, not me. Now, I understand that that's not an immediately appealing idea, especially when our society keeps telling us that we're in control, we can make our own rules, we are the most important people in the world. I want to suggest that the Bible in general, Genesis 1-1 in particular, sets out a different narrative in which we acknowledge our dependence upon God as creator and that that's actually freeing rather than restrictive. You see, the more that we accept God's loving control over our lives, the more we will live in harmony with his will and at peace with others of like mind. Not only that, but we can even live at peace with those who disagree with us because we recognise that God's actually in control of that as well. You see, we don't need to fight for our position Instead, we can ask the one who is actually in control to work in the situation. Hopefully to even bring understanding to both sides. Can you see how it's actually freeing to acknowledge that God is actually in control? Can you see why it matters very directly to us that God is in control of the universe in which we live living at peace with others not having to fight for some alleged supremacy over other people that's very appealing to me and I hope it is to you as well the second reason why it should matter to us is that if Jesus is our creator, then we're accountable to him as well. 
Now remember what we saw when we compared Genesis 1 with John 1? Genesis tells us that God spoke creation into existence. John tells us that the word who is God, who spoke creation into existence, is Jesus, the one and only Son of God. Jesus, the creative word of God, is as much our creator as God the Father is, with God the Holy Spirit, who was there from the beginning. We read that in verse 2 of Genesis 1. So I hope you can follow, you're following the logic, yeah? God created by speaking, Jesus the Word is our creator. If that's true, and I'm suggesting that it is, well, I'm actually saying that it is, what does that mean for us practically? How should it change the way that we live day by day? Well, firstly, if you're not a Christian, then the fact that you're accountable to Jesus as your creator means that you actually need to take seriously the claims about him in the New Testament the claims that he himself makes about himself in the Gospels. Well, what are the basic claims about Jesus that are relevant for us to think about in this context? Well, I think there are three. Firstly, that he is the Son of God sent to earth as a baby to live the righteous life that we couldn't. Son of God in flesh to live the righteous life that we can't. Secondly, that he voluntarily gave up that life on the cross to pay for our sin and open the way for reconciliation with God. And it's through faith in that sacrifice that we are reconciled to the Father. Thirdly, that he's returned to the Father's throne where he waits for that command to come back in order to gather all his people home. Once he does that, we will live in God's perfect presence forever. So Son of God voluntarily gave up his life. He's coming back. So friend, you need to trust in Jesus, your creator, to also be your redeemer, to have your sins forgiven. If that's you and you'd like to, please speak to me after the service if you'd like to know more about trusting in Jesus. If you're already a Christian, saved by grace through faith, then the practical outworking for you and for me is to take seriously Jesus' call to discipleship and evangelism. Now, don't be freaked out by those theologically sounding words. What they mean is that no matter how long you or I have been a Christian, we will always be learners of Jesus who have the responsibility to speak about our faith in him to others. Learning Jesus and speaking about Jesus. Now, those two things are at the same time that easy 
and that difficult. Because even though we are forgiven, as long as we live here, we are impacted by the sinful nature that remains in us. You know, this is not something to despair about, but we should be realistic about it. You see, whatever we try to do will be affected to some degree by our sinful nature. So we must rely on our creator and redeemer Jesus to bring about the result of our actions that he has determined. And that is in spite of our frailty, in spite of our tendency towards sin, and he can do it even because of our frailty. Even when our frailty causes us to sin, God can actually use that for good. That doesn't mean we ought to go about sinning. <laughs> but we can be confident that because God is in control, he will use even our failures for his glory. You see, it's not our task to convert people. And this is freeing, I think. It's not our task to convert people. Our task is to live faithfully for him. Our task is to faithfully present what the Bible says about him and then leave the results in God's hands because, let's face it, as their creator God, he cares so much more for the people that we present Christ to than we ever will. Yeah? Because God is their creator as well. He cares much more for them than we ever could, as much as we might care for them. And that's really good for us, isn't it? And it's really good for the people we speak to. So let's commit to our part and let's leave God's part to him. Friends, God, our creator, loves his creation so much that he gave his one and only son to redeem it. It is an immense privilege to be called by our Creator into a relationship with His Son and therefore with Himself. And I've already said it's through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, faith in Him. So lay hold of forgiveness, friend. Rejoice in your forgiveness. And the responsibility to speak about Jesus, dear Christian. As you go into this week, live in the freedom of sin, forgiven sin by acknowledging that, you, that your creator, who lovingly controls every part of his awesome creation, includes you. We can live in the freedom of forgiven sin. What a blessing that is. Let's pray.